The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is a Monday where I have lived in full gluttony. I have eaten as much as I can. When I thought I couldn't eat more, I did. And then I enjoyed a bunch of football and basketball over the weekend. I watched a lot of FCS playoffs because I'm that guy. Watched a lot of basketball, especially games involving Southern Conference teams. Kept up with a lot of games. It was uh, it was what a Thanksgiving holiday should be. Food, football, basketball, I guess family. And I changed my brake rotors. That's well. My front I did my front brakes. That's uh that's that's very Keith Brake of you. Yes. And well they needed to happen because um when I pushed the brakes at forty five miles an hour, my whole car was shaking. So I I had I had brake shake. It's like let me let me come let me pit. I got brake shake real bad. I got a real bad vibration, and uh, just had to ride that out. So then finally got to do something about it. It was nice. But yes, no, the food was good. Family was good. I got to spend time with my uh, fiance's family, uh, which was great. Got to see my dad for a little bit, which was nice. Not something that I was able to do in North Dakota. So um, yeah, I, I enjoyed my first Thanksgiving back in Tennessee. It was nice. Um, it was also very nice for uh, eight college FCS football teams anyway, um, which I, I think we, we might have a little bit of an opportunity to get to that. Uh, but I've already spoken my piece on Furman. That's a quarterfinal team. And Samford, if Hires is healthy, should be fine against Southeastern Louisiana. If Hires is banged up, we'll see. But I think they should be fine. Yeah, and we'll probably... I think we can do some initial. We'll talk ETSU hoops, men's and women's, then we'll mm-hmm. transition a little bit to FCS playoffs, give our thoughts kind of on the weekend results. And then Wednesday probably talk about uh, – well, Wednesday we got a big show. We're obviously going to pump women's basketball, their game against Vanderbilt. It's the first time, you know, a SEC team has played in Brooks Gym since 2016, which was also Vanderbilt. Last year a good crowd for the Georgia Tech game of the ACC. Clearly when Tennessee came to town, they played that game – one in the dome, but the most recent they played actually inside Freedom Hall. So getting Vandy inside Brooks Gym, I think it's kind of a big deal. We'll talk to Brenda Mock Brown uh, some tonight on the coaches show. Hopefully we'll have something uh, around that game on Wednesday for the pod. Then we'll talk FCS playoffs, and then Saturday, I think uh, a big deal for men's basketball. They're going to retire the jersey, not the number. I always try to clarify, but they are going to retire the jersey of the all-time lean scorer. Tim Smith, who probably needs no introduction. Tim actually showed up when Greg Dennis had his jersey retired. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of fitting there, especially when you have a guy that's, you know, 6'11 and 5'9, and you have uh, what was the all-time lean scorer in Greg Dennis. Tim passed Greg, and then eventually Courtney Pegram passed Greg, but not Tim, and he's second on the list. So I'm sure yep. a few years down the road, maybe Courtney will get up there. But Obviously, when your top three scorers are, are around and you can honor that, it was great to see. So we'll, we'll talk about that on Friday. Maybe we'll see if Tim uh, can join us and, and talk about some of his favorite memories and moments and, and such. So a big week because of four home games. you got Wednesday, Saturday for the men, Thursday, Sunday for the women. It's a lot of basketball. And, again, sandwiched in a, a yep. favorite part of our um, fun time, which is watching FCS playoffs, you know, the real college football where there's actual, you know, a playoffs and – Settle that, and I could argue uh, uh, points on that later. But people... oh, I will say this year's college football playoff, I think, is actually going to feel like a national championship because you're probably you're going to have the SEC champion, which I assume is going to be Georgia. You're probably going to have Michigan, TCU, and I'm feeling froggy about USC. So it'd be uh, the first time four conference champions would be in the playoffs, and that would feel like a national championship. Like that was kind of the intention. Of the CFP when it was created and we went away from the the bowl championship series. So I, I would be excited about that. I think that would be good. Um, but yes, every conference champion gets into the FCS playoffs. 
Um, whether or not the Pioneer League champion should get in is a conversation for another time. Yeah, we can talk about that a little later. So you want to talk hoops? Uh, I do, I do. Hoops? I want to talk about well, Let's talk hoops. Hoops, 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 hoops. hoops, hoops. Basketball. All right, let's start in Vegas. How about that? Bright Light City going to set my soap. No. Brenda Mock Brown. Coach Mock. Lost to the first president, you know, but it's, you know, he's got wooden teeth and chopped down cherry trees or something like that. I don't, I don't know how that went, but you cannot tell a lie. Uh, George, I, I can, but he can't. Uh, George Washington, a 20 point win there. Again, it's the Thomas and Brown show. They combined for 31 of ETSU's 58, and we knew that one was a tough one coming in. Yep. And then it was a couple of games we thought and we speculated on the podcast, and, and we like to first guess. Uh, and yes, like most things, we try to break, you know, we're like a meteorologist. If we get it right, we try to, you know, break our arm, trying to pat ourselves on the back. And if we get it wrong, it's not exact science, not exact science. So, but we thought if ETSU were to draw Albany, that would be a good draw for game two. And then really it was tough to speculate because there were four teams in the third matchup. Thought a couple of them would be a good matchup. San Diego was one we kind of liked, and ETSU able to win the last two games and jump to a, a six and two start. And again, I think this is she's working miracles. I, I think to to get what to get the team to buy everything they've gone through, and we don't have to rehash all that. But to get mm-hmm. everything they've gone through, and I think it was key that the assistant coaches stayed, so some continuity. But to have the assistant yep. coaches buy in and teach a system that was different from Coach Harris, and to get the ladies to buy in in a short period of time, I think just speaks volumes about what they will do. And they won both those games in slightly different ways. I mean, 48-44, defensive-style game. Foley gets her first double-digit performance, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. and one of the three leading scorers. And then in the last game, Rufus Milner has double digits. Courtney Moore finally has double digits. I mean, it was just they're winning in different ways, and that makes me excited, not just for a 6-2 and two early. It was all Giselle Thomas, and then maybe somebody else could help out a little bit, but it was basically Thomas. Now you're starting to get less of Thomas, more of Brown, more of Moore, Rufus Milner, Foley. I mean, just, just name it. They're getting – more people to contribute, and that makes them more dangerous, and they are gaining more confidence, and you can see it when you watch them play. I, I will say, um, you look at this team, and you look at the numbers, and you look at the way that they win games. And when they win games, uh, typically they are positive on the glass, and sometimes they have been just utterly dominant on the glass. And Jayla Rufus Milner is a big part of that. Uh, she is somebody who. I think she's second in the SoCon in offensive rebounds per game, and she leads the SoCon in total offensive rebounds. So that's been a major factor for them. And the reason that this team wins, look at their field goal percentage. You know, against George Washington, they shot 32% from the floor. Against Albany, in a win, they shot 31% from the floor. Uh, against um, UCSD, they shot 33% of the floor. They were 22 of 66. That's a lot of shots. Uh, this team is not shooting the ball at a super high percentage as a team. It's 35% from the floor, just 28% from three. It's not great. But they are beating teams in the hustle and muscle. They are not turning the ball over outrageous numbers of times every single game. Now, they did have trouble with the press against Jacksonville State, but I think they learned a lot from that. They are outworking teams on the glass, both offensively and defensively, especially offensively. Uh, Getting themselves multiple opportunities per possession, extending possessions, putting pressure on defenses until they crack, and you're able to get buckets that way. And I think as this group grows, what you're going to see is a group that will outwork anybody and everybody and they play with so much heart and so much passion they play like they they, they put it all on the line for each other and and for a a coach that came in in August with a roster with what is it uh, 10 new players 11 new players 11 because four returned because four returns it's 11 new players to get that sort of bond together 
uh, to get that group to play that hard that way that quickly, I think speaks to an open-mindedness from the players to embrace a new coach, the continuity that the assistants provided, and also uh, the ability of Coach Mock to meet these this young group, this extremely young group. There are two tr- there are two upperclassmen in this group. Jayla Rufus Milner and Giselle Thomas are grad students. Everybody else has, I think, at least three years of eligibility left. It's every so freshmen and sophomores the rest of the way. So you're talking about a young group with a new coach dropped in their laps two months before, eight weeks before the season starts. Uh, if that, maybe more, maybe more like six or seven before the season starts. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's bought in. Everybody's playing hard. Um, I, tip of the cap to that whole group. I mean, obviously, especially Coach Mock, uh, but that whole group is just, they play so hard. They work so hard. They don't have the the skill level of, a, of an SEC team, but they have the work ethic. They have the heart. They have the commitment of an SEC team, and they will outwork teams, and that work ethic will mean wins against teams with more talent than they have over the course of this season. And I think they've already done that once or twice. I can't say this enough, and I've said it on every podcast, on every broadcast when I'm on TV or radio filling in for you. The rebounding is an, or was an issue last year, and even in Vegas, they out-rebounded everybody. And, and that's that work ethic. Huge. That that's huge. That's 100% work ethic. Want to, right? You ever heard that? comes down to want to. Yeah. You have to want to go rebound, right? You want to hunt those. You want to be more physical. There's a lot of things to go to it. And they do it a variety of different ways. It's not the same suspects. Again, now, obviously, McDaniel and Rufus Milner are bleeding the team in rebounding, but there are games where you look up and other people have seven, eight, nine rebounds. Ja'Kaia Davis off the bench. Giselle Thomas getting after the ball. it's, It's not like... When you have a player that scores the way that Giselle Thomas can score, sometimes you might those players aren't necessarily going to be your best rebounders, or they're not going to be your most active rebounders. And Giselle is crashing the boards just like everybody else, and they rebound the ball well. Like they, they it's both hands, good fundamentals, uh, good anticipation, but it all comes down to just wanting the ball more than the players around you. Because Rufus Milner's what five ten. Given yes, um, two, three, four inches to a lot of the players that she's matching up with in the post, and she's winning those battles in the post to get boards. This team just works its butt off. The other thing I wanted to point out: they do a great job, ETSU that is, of getting to the free throw line. They're averaging taking about three and a half, four free throws a game more than their opponents, and I think that adds up over time. Mm-hmm. And you look at it, and again, they they match the free throw totals. George Washington each had nine attempts. Now, ETSU was nine of nine. George Washington, seven of nine. But they took um, eight and six more free throws than the other two games. And I think those add up. Again, physical play. The dribble drive, and that, you know, they're trying to get the ball inside, whether it is throwing it inside or it is driving the basketball. But yes. they're trying to force the issue inside. It is a mentality. I think there is still – a little bit of a concern is at times the three-point shooting comes and goes. And I think for both teams, and we'll talk about the men a little bit later, I think that's a concern. I don't think, like a lot of teams that live out there, and especially in the Southern Conference, there are a lot of teams on both sides, men and women, that just only shoot 35-43s a game, and that's what they're going to live and die by. Mm-hmm. I think both these teams are built to go to the rim. Both these teams have solid post players. Both these teams should be able to get to the line and be able to rebound. And I think once they get into league play, they are going to really rack up some wins. And I think ETSU on the men's side got some different things we'll talk about. But on the women's side, again, they're getting – they had some injuries early, able to withstand that. You know, Neve Brown is now back fully healthy. Courtney Moore, that pitch count seems to be going down. They more got and Julia more. Cotton on the floor a little oh, bit yeah, as yeah. well. First so. time we've seen her. So you you've got a lot of ladies that are able to to kind of get up and go and play sort of the minutes that you want. Obviously, the starting five for for Coach Brown is eating up 
a lot of the time, but the more you can get some other ladies on the floor and keep them fresh, I, I think the better this team is is going to be, especially with a young team, especially with freshmen and sophomores. Sophomores that didn't play a lot last year or played very sparingly or freshmen coming in that only played a high school-type schedule and minutes and all that, I believe, and, I, you know, again, if Furman fans are probably throwing something at whatever they're listening to me at because I bring it up with them all the time, but I believe that stuff wears on your legs. And the fresher teams towards the end of the year, the deeper teams, this isn't rocket science, are the teams most likely to advance. If you play five and six and they're eating up – all of them, 28 minutes or more, when you get to the end of the year, it is no bueno. It is not going to be success. And so getting a lot of these players back and having them share some of the minutes I think is going to be key. Plus I think some of these other ladies are starting to figure some things out if you watch them play. Number-wise, I'm not sure journey mcdaniel and rebounding is going to wow you but if you watch her play from the beginning of the exhibition games to what she's doing now it is leaps and bounds she is understanding things especially defensively uh but i think this is starting to show that coach brown has really got this team and again it's easy when you go six and two now mm-hmm. they put in the work they deserve it and they beat teams you're right they should not have beaten but as you see success right you start to see other things come around and i think it'll be a good litmus test uh vanderbilt obviously tissue's going to be an underdog thursday we're going to talk about that more coming up later and then they got a chance to get a, a win on sunday to kind of even out the, the thursday game but i think it'll be a good test to see what they're kind of made of last year etsu was in the georgia tech game till what was it six seven minutes to go in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter and george tech kind of ran away with it but that was a, a team that really fought hard in that one i expect to see that again on thursday but the re- i can't speak ad nauseum about how impressed i am with the rebounding and the fact that they're getting to the free throw line now there's still some turnovers that are a little careless i would like to see them um, not do unforced turnovers they still seem to have a little bit of trouble against the press and pressure and up-tempo. And I think some of that, Keith, is because they're, it's not necessarily that the press has turned them over, but they're getting sped up, and yeah. then they make bad decisions. I, I would agree with that. And I think the other thing that this team needs, and, and when we get to the men's team, we'll talk about this as well with them, you need to identify who your shooters are, and those shooters need to have success like you need somebody that can just reliably as you you compress the defense and people pack the paint stop the dribble drive you have to punish them for it who are your three-point shooters and we haven't really seen that with uh the women's team yet nobody's really necessarily emerged Kendall Foley um is is starting to look like she might be that player can she sustain 41 percent from beyond the arc with a bigger number of attempts because um, you know, two attempts per game or three attempts per game probably isn't going to be enough. You need a little bit more. You need four or five, six shots from beyond the arc a game. Giselle Thomas is only 24%. Neve Brown, 36%. But again, only 14 attempts. Your big shooters, Journey McDaniels, 8 of 32. She's a freshman. That's going to happen. Um, you know, Courtney Moore is 10 of 35. It's 29%. Get that number up a little bit. I think Courtney is probably a player that has the potential to be that go-to three-point shooter that can open up the floor, can space the floor out for the rest of the team and really keep those lanes open for the dribble drive because you have to close out 10 on the perimeter. And if that comes together, I don't know, short of Mercer, I don't really think there's anybody in this league that is out of their reach. And even then, I think Mercer in Brooks Gym could be a really fun basketball game. And when you get into league play, I think you're right, Jay. I think this group has the ability to rattle off some wins. Like I said, just purely outworking other teams. But if you can get shots to fall from outside on top of that work ethic, man, it could be a fun year. A really fun year. And it's already been a great start. Six and two, for the first time since 1996 under the late, great Karen Kemp. Um, that is the, I did the research on it last night. I believe that is the third time since women's basketball became an NCAA championship sport in 1981 that an ETSU women's basketball team 
has won six or more of its first eight games. 1994, 1996, and 2022. That's it. So this is what, what this group is doing, what Coach Mock is doing. And the difference is, the big difference is that those other two teams, they had a non-counter. They both played Mars Hill. ETSU hasn't played it on D1 yet this year. So this this group is um, on a path to have a really, really awesome season. Yeah, I think obviously the next three home games, two are going to be very difficult, maybe two of the more difficult games they've played. Obviously, Vandy, SEC, Bowling Green, last I look, 4-1. and one. Um, I think they got another game or two before they, they roll into – uh, Johnson City. Bowling Green is very good. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, then two winnable games on the road. Charleston Southern, the old stomping ground for Brandon McBrown, UNCA. There was a heck of a game last year with the Longwood Lancers that came down to the last minute or two. So that one should be entertaining in Brooks Gym. Mount St. Mary's, that's played over in Cherokee. So that'll be interesting in the casino. Then mm-hmm. a non D1. I mean, they got a chance to rattle off another four, five, six, maybe wins. And the, the, I, man, the last time they've had double digit wins going into a conference year. We've really got to do some research on that. And also, I think it shows you maybe people didn't appreciate even fully now what Karen Kemp in that three-year stretch was. Oh, man. I was spoiled rotten because that was my undergrad. My first year was the, I think, was the third championship of that that run. And it was just spectacular. It was the second or third one. I can't remember. I mean, it, I mean, it really... Yeah, that's probably something I need to go back. When I got to campus, I mean, you're talking about that that 94, 95, 95, 96 were some pretty good women's teams. Yes. Uh, and Coach Kemp was, was probably in second or third year. I'm trying to that remember. was early in her tenure. 94 was her first year. Yeah, so first and second year. So, yeah. so we got to campus similar to me as a student, obviously. I uh, heard the head coach, and Deshaun Blocker was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Jackie Carson, who was Jackie Alexander back at – Furman back then used to have some battles. I mean, both those ladies, you know, could put a twenty twenty on the board, and it was crazy to watch. And then, you know, some local products like Angie Fickus and uh, Erica Babb and some of those on the squad. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Wendy Repow. I mean, I could go down a list of of, of mid. Uh, you know, I get fired up over mid ninety stuff. Yeah, but but to your point, Jay. I mean, you look at the schedule. Virginia Lynchburg. They're gonna win that game. That team lost by one hundred six points to Norfolk State earlier this year. That seems like a lot. That's a lot. Um, so they're going to win that game. Charleston Southern feels like a, a good opportunity on the road. UNC Asheville feels like a good opportunity on the road. Longwood will be a great game. Mount St. Mary should be a good game. I am not willing to write, completely write off Bowling Green. I, I know it's a very good team, but they're playing here. This team's playing well. Um, you know, what does that game look like? I, I think there's a decent chance that they could come out with a win there. And then Converse is going to be a, a comfortable win. Uh, that team hasn't won a game yet this season. So, um, you're looking at at least six, maybe seven. Who knows if you who knows you pull a rabbit out of the hat, beat Vanderbilt. We're talking about a really, really strong non-conference performance for Coach Mock and this group going into league play. Where I mean, you're thinking about this team wins another six games. They're twelve and they'd be what twelve and four at that point going into SoCon play. You're thinking about 20 wins. And that, and that was not something that I think was on a lot of people's radars at the beginning of the year. I mean, if you got Just to like, given all of the environmental factors you're going through, with coaching change, roster churn, you're thinking, okay, this team probably going to win. Like, you know, they, last year they won four. The year before they won six. The year before that they won nine. They're thinking, okay, maybe, 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 maybe we could win like. 13 or 14 games and build on this this team could do a lot more than that a lot more yeah and again it's tough because the southern it's tough non-conference basketball because they're not apples and uh oranges i mean they're all over the place i mean some some people play healthy schedules some do not on both it's, sides. it's I mean, like it's, apples and plantains yeah it's, it's not a, yes it's it's apples and trees I mean, as it's, as it's, will <laughs> As we'll discuss when we get to men's basketball, non-conference versus conference is very different. 
that that we will. But ETSU sitting atop six yeah. and two with no. As you I think you know exactly where I'm going with. That. I do, and I'm gonna love to talk about it. <laughs> uh, UNCG four and two, Chat five and three, Wofford three and two, Furman Western three and three, Mercer two and three, Sanford three and five. Of course, again, Sanford's played some pretty healthy teams on the women's side. So I, you know, we'll we'll look at that, and we'll start doing some deep non-conference dives here once the FCS playoffs kind of wind down we'll be in full hoops mode but still uh I, I think it's a great setup I mean if you would have said ETSU would finish the year at 500 you know around 15 and 15 16 and 15 16 and 16 somewhere in there you know you I think you would have took that and ran mm-hmm. and now those expectations like maybe it could be 20 what about 22 could now, be now you're, now you're just crazy talking now that right. being said this is still a young team mm-hmm Still a lot of work to do, and it starts with a tough opponent that we'll talk about more on Wednesday, the Vanderbilt Commodores coming in on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Want to go a little mellow here, Keith. Yeah, we definitely need a mellow. Yeah, and so let's backtrack a little bit to Appalachian State. And, I mean, great game, back and forth, just a little – maybe not back and forth, but ETSU would cut it down, App State would go back up, cut it down, go back up. Maybe more more of that than a true back and forth. Mm -hmm. Lead changes everywhere. But the turnovers were the – if 19 turnovers, 23 points off turnovers – and the unforced kind of turnovers. I yeah. thought that was one of the games. So I think Alan Strellers defensively is about as good as any redshirt freshman can be. I mean, Agreed. he's very, very good there. There were and the last two games, including Georgia, they've just been a couple of plays where he's looked like a redshirt freshman mm-hmm. that, that's been asked to, to run the ship. Um, and I think that will get better. I, I, I think the upside on him is ridiculous. And will be there, and he wasn't the only one that had uh, was on the struggle bus of turnovers. Struthers four turnovers, Jordan King four turnovers, Jalen Haynes four turnovers, Brock Jancic four turnovers. The one knock on Jalen, I would say, when you look at the week that he had, yeah, sixteen points against Appalachian State. He had the yep. twenty-one points, nine of eleven, but he had one assist, nine turnovers in two games. And he's not going to be an assist guy, so I really maybe I should right. just take that out. But nine turnovers seems like a lot. That hurts. Uh, and now uh, also consider the sheer volume of touches that Haynes gets because Desmond Oliver has said this before. Jalen Haynes is the most reliable scorer on this basketball team. You're going to put the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to get a lot of touches. So the turnover numbers might be a little bit inflated for a big guy, but nine in two games is still... That still stings. I mean, especially in the app game where, you know, you feel like you have a really good shot to beat that team. I certainly felt like they did enough um, to beat that team in areas of the game other than live ball turnovers getting turned into points. And some of that's Haynes. Some of that was Struthers. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a, a single individual. It's kind of a, a, it's a whatever, how many you ever played in that game? Ten guys, nine guys, eight guys whatever it was, it's a collective failing that you turn the ball over that much because it's, okay, well, also the point guard made a bad pass. But, yeah, where's the guy supposed to be? Is he in the right spot? Um, You know, is there something that could have been done somewhere else for somebody else uh, to help that guy that made the pass? You know, you you can really get granular with it. So it's a collective failing, but at the same time, um, you need your guys to hang on to the basketball uh, to a, a, a reasonable degree. And, and I think Haynes has been challenged with turnovers via offensive fouls, via um, just, you know, giving up the basketball. All those things are going to uh, to hurt you in the long run, but also in the context of the volume of touches that he gets. And it's not as bad as it probably could be. Uh, this team overall, though, I just, man, Every time it feels like they're going to take a step forward, something happens. A guy gets hurt. 
Um, a guy's not on a trip for whatever reasons. Um, you know, those those are the things that will drive you nuts in November. Um, and I, I I'm I am unfortunately very well versed in this because I covered a team for six years in in Fargo that was usually pretty mediocre in November. They just you know, the 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 path, you know maybe it's a new offensive wrinkle that they're implementing that they don't really have a feel for yet or uh just not good matchups cuz they're playing tough teams and all this stuff but they typically don't win a lot of games in November. But all of that work, all of that hardship, all of that struggle and adaptation pays dividends in the back half of the season. In January and February and March, this team against um, solid mid-majors and high-major opponents against uh, all sorts of adversity through injuries, whether it's Seymour, whether it's Hairston, whether it's Jancic, those guys being out will make this team better once they come back. And it will pay off. You have to believe right, that it's going to pay off in the long run. If you don't, it's going to be a really long and miserable season for you, and all you're doing is inflicting pain on yourself for no reason. So you have to believe, and I believe, that this is going to pay dividends in the long run for ETSU. What Haynes is being challenged with, what Struthers is being challenged with, what Jordan King is being challenged with, because Jordan King has not been anywhere close to himself. He's already had more games shooting under 30% from three this year than he did all of last year. And the team's only played seven games. So things are going to eventually come back around for these guys um, when this team starts to gel and starts to click. And that probably won't happen until closer to Christmas. But it is going to happen, I think. I think there is enough talent on this roster for this team to win games in the Southern Conference. And that's sort of my takeaway is I think if Brock Jancic was healthy at the same time as Jaden Seymour, which has not happened the last four games, I think depth, some other things that help out. First of all, I think Jaden Seymour, considering he missed three games, looked really good last night or yesterday afternoon against Georgia. I think Brock Jancic has looked really good in his tenure, and he's got a high ankle, and those things can put you out four to six weeks could put you out a couple of weeks depends on just how you heal the severity the grade difference and you know it was kind of fresh so they're they're just kind of waiting and seeing he was in a boot hopefully he gets back sooner than later hopefully Seymour who had a freak kind of play for a concussion that you know that that's kind of by him and they took their time as they should with a head injury and everything that goes with that and then obviously Tipler not on the, the trip, and hopefully that gets straightened out. But if you have those three on the floor at the same time, there's no more injuries, I think that is a different-looking team. And I think you can just simply look at results. And I think because Coach has said multiple times there's like seven starters, you know. And, yeah, it feels that way. And, and, and there's seven guys that contribute. Well, right now they've played, you know, the first – Three games, Emory and Henry, Elon and Louisiana, and they're two and one with those seven quote I'm using the air quotes here, seven starters. Then you're without one, you win a game against Little Rock, and then you've lost your last three because you've had six, six, and five out of those seven. So if you can get the seven back, I feel pretty good about where it is. Plus I feel great about where Jalen Haynes is at right now. Minus the turnovers. And and just off the top of my head. Other than Dromi Rodriguez, who had the double-double where he averaged 11 and 11, and then maybe Isaiah Brown, who averaged a double-double, and that's going back more than 10 years. That's a long time ago. That's 10, 12 years ago. He's got a chance to be the third buck in recent memory to basically average a double-double. And to me, now he's not there yet because he's only averaging about six rebounds. And it's early. You know, he's averaging 14 points, 6.3 boards. He could easily – he's had double-digit boards – and I will say, there are other guys that I just as impressed am with the women's. I mean, the men are still averaging four more boards than their opponents this year. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the the free throw attempts, 148 to 106. I mean, they they are get. I mean, they're getting to the line. They are rebounding. Those are things that I think are going to help them win games. The one issue, they're dead even on turnovers, 105 to 105. But the last two games, they have really spun that. They were so good. 
on being plus five, four and a half, whatever it was going in uh, to the game against Appalachian State. Now in two games that has gone to straight even, but they were going to rebound. They were not turning the ball over as much as their opponents, and they were getting to the free throw line a lot more than their opponents. That's recipe to win games. So if they continue that and they get a little healthy, the one thing that's like I have the concern with the women besides turnovers without really being pressed, they've been sped up to force turnovers, not really you know, had the ball stolen from them, three-point shooting. And mm-hmm. I love that me and Kevin Brown spent a lot of time in research uh, when Mike White was out, um, I think he was at Disney World in the middle of the year, uh, taking his kid, I kid you not, and we found the three-point streak. And then we kept going back and back and back. And we kind of took ownership of it, and people kind of laughed at it. Like, oh, what does this even mean? And we were like eighth when we started keeping up with it. Now we're down to fourth. There were more people sending me messages that could – and I'm sure they care about the game, so this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but they didn't care about the game. They wanted to know, is the streak going to end today? And they were ready to <laughs> – to, people said they were going to go to the top of the dome and leap off, which we do not encourage people. Do not do that. We do not encourage that. And I realized they were just in jest. But there were people ready to lose their mind about the streak. And then when they hit it, everyone was relieved. And then it was like, okay, now, now I'm mad because of the score. Which makes sense, <laughs> right? Like, like, I, like, I love that we've turned people into the streaks of thing. And then, like, and yes, next, we extended the three-point streak, and now we're down 11. Right. <sighs> that's yeah. it. I mean, it was, that's how people reacted. I mean, yeah. the next that's three is going to be 1,100 games. 11 I mean I was thinking about that and laughing because you worked the studio with AJ yes right and he and so, was adamant about the streak he said please don't let the streak right. end until I graduate yeah it's, yes and, and then, I mean he was I mean, he's born in the 2000s what year were you born I was 90 so the streak extends you it's 87 February 16th 1987 wow against the purple paladins 0 for 8. Last time, a three I got So, the streak's a thing. The fan base is all about it, and I love it. I love that ETSU's got to a point where the basketball program means something, that Georgia fans are trolling ETSU fans. Love it. If an SEC school has to troll a mid-major who beat them last year, I feel real good about where ETSU's program is. Mm-hmm. not going to lie to you. I agree with that. I feel good about this team, and yes – I think there are some losses that are not going to look particularly great because I don't think Tennessee Tech's that great. App State's kind of the jury's out, and we'll kind of see. I think that team might be pretty good. I, again, and I, I again, don't, and I, I don't I, think Little Rock's bad either. Obviously, ETSU beat Little Rock, but I don't think that team. I don't. Those Sun Belt teams are solid. Like those are solid teams that were picked in the middle of the pack in the Sun Belt, and I was just, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I I didn't think Louisiana was dramatically better than those teams. They're probably better than those teams. I didn't think they were dramatically better than those well, teams. Well, and they took a bad loss the other day. I'm trying to think who they lost to. Um, oh, gosh, I'll have to look it up. But they, they no. took a, a pretty good beat down the other we'll, day. We'll get a good measuring stick when App plays Furman here soon. I think that game is – is that game tomorrow? I've got it right here. It is, is that, Tuesday. Yes, you're tomorrow, correct. So, you, yeah. Yes, yes. Tuesday is tomorrow. Thank you. I, I don't know what day this is, but it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about me. Yes, so – well, we only tape the pod three days a week, so you got a three yeah, and seven shot. Yeah, I got. It. <laughs> if I just say tomorrow, they don't know when people are listening, right? <laughs> you just—I mean, people listen on Tuesday, think it's Wednesday. You don't know. So the Drake—that's uh, so they lost by double di- Louisiana backtracking, but Louisiana. All right, so they beat Centenary. That's fine. They beat Harvard. Beat ETSU. Beat La Tech, which is a pretty big deal in that that's state. Not awful, right? Yeah. Then an overtime win against SMU, which I think is a pretty solid win That's in Dallas. Win. That's a good win. And then they lose in Des Moines, Iowa, which we've been to that. Uh, Des Moines. There's nothing in Des Moines, by the way. Uh, 76-64. Drake There's more wins. in Ames than there is in Des Moines, and Ames is like a fraction of the size of Des Moines. So then they got Loyola of Louisiana okay. before you start jumping up. But then they got Sanford, so I'll be curious to see. They got New Orleans, yeah. which is a good – again – couple Louisiana schools. So, I think the Raging Cajuns are going to be for real. How App State plays against Furman, I'll be curious. Then they're at Charlotte. Then they should get a win against something called Carlo. And then Regent, which I thought was a bank. And then they go to Wake Forest and uh, Steve Ford. Probably not going to fare well there, but that's fine. But I'll be curious to see uh, on how they go. Little Rock, uh, uh, you know, we'll keep it on. I think App's got 
App's got a pretty good, got some key pieces to be good. UNCA's off to a good start. There's some good things still left on the schedule. Again, ETSU and this team was not in danger of getting an at-large. It's all about how can they win some non-conference to get some momentum. Ray Harper at Jacksonville State does a phenomenal job that Saturday's game. I'm not trying to look past Mars Hill Wednesday, but ETSU should beat Mars Hill. I believe we all agree with that. Still got to do it because we're going to talk about that in a second. But still got to beat Mars Hill. But Ray Harper's very well uh, respected in the business. They're off, I think, to a two and four start. But Jacksonville State will come in very well coached. You go two more head state, and then the schedule's fairly nice from there. I mean, you've only got in the month of December two non conference games now that Georgia's out of the way at, uh, at Moorhead State and LSU. Yep. So three three of your non-conference road games, two are SEC opponents, the other one's Moorhead, and then you get into conference play at Wofford at VMI, which could set the tone, which Wofford just went to LSU, had a shot with uh, four seconds to go in the game to tie it with a three-pointer that landed like 18 feet instead of 21 and mm-hmm. two or whatever it's supposed to be. So there's a lot. I, I'm still fine with there's some good games for them to get rolling. I was going to segue because you said Louisiana plays Sanford, and then you just kept talking. I was ready to segue. I was ready to segue. Did you say Samford? Did you say six and two Samford? I did. You want? You want, you want to talk about? You want to talk about it? Because you watched. You watched this I, game. I only saw. I saw the social media graphic come across Twitter, which I still use because it hasn't burned to the ground yet. Um, and I just started cackling, but. I also had to Google UT Southern because I didn't know what that was. Because they uh, changed names. That, that we is, had to yes. as well. So that is the remains of uh, Martin Methodist College right. that was bought by the University of Tennessee system uh, and made into a public school in Pulaski, Tennessee, down near the Alabama state line. So um, my first reaction was, oh, my God. Uh, my second reaction was, wow. And my third reaction was, ha! <laughs> Um, you play with fire, you get burned. This is Sanford's fourth, fourth non-D1 opponent this year. They played Anderson, which is a D2, Spring Hill College, which is a D3, and Bellhaven, which I believe is also a D2. Um, no, I'm sorry. Bellhaven is the D3, and Spring Hill is the D2 um, because Spring Hill is in the SIAC. So they played two D2s and a D3, and then they played the NAIA school, and that's the one that beats them. Now, I know they had a couple of players that didn't play, I I think, that missed that game. Quest Glover did not. Yeah. Jordan Campbell, I believe, did not. Who cares? You should be able to put away an NAIA school. You want me to take you seriously as a contender for one of the 10 or 12 best men's basketball conferences in the country. You need to be able to put this team away. This is, maybe it's a one-off, maybe it's a fluke, but they haven't beaten anybody good this year. Valparaiso is a trash fire right now. Texas Southern, whoop-dee-doo, you know, they usually schedule really tough, but Alabama A&M, no, nothing there. I mean, those are D1s, but that's not the level of competition that you need to be facing they the the toughest t- opponent they've played this year was LaTeX at home on Black Friday and they lost and now they're going to play a stretch of at DePaul at UCF at Louisiana and they might not win any of them I this is a team that just I don't get the schedule I didn't even know you could do that where you schedule four non-D1 opponents in a season I didn't know you could do that and be the, postseason the, eligible. The, the league has a rule that is not enforced that you're supposed to play two. Two, yeah. is, two is the max. It is not enforced because the academies kept fighting it because they can't get home games. So for Citadel and VMI, I get it. For Sanford, I don't get it because that is not any – I don't believe – It has no value for that team in particular. You want wins? Okay, sure. I mean, you, you, there are plenty of winnable D1 games. You found some winnable D1 games. Um, playing four non-D1s with a team that you expect to win a conference title or contend for a conference title is just not a good look. It's not a good look for anybody in this league. Never mind Sanford. 
it, that has a knock-on consequence for everybody in the conference. Now the conference is the butt of jokes because you played with fire and got burned. Um, now, if they'd won that game yesterday, maybe nobody would think anything of it. Maybe they'd get away with it. But eventually, somebody would find that and be like, wow, this team played four non-D1s. Are they scared? Are they just afraid of playing good teams? That That's what people are going to say. That's the rhetorical argument that's going to come out of that, and it's going to reflect poorly on the SOCON. So I, I don't like this. I mean, they're three and one when the committee looks at it, but the committee's going to go three and two because they lost the non-D1. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's how it's going to look. So instead of being six and two, they're going to be judged on three and two. Not again. They're going to they're gonna look at they're gonna they, they supposedly they only look at the wins and losses against division one opponents right that's ostensibly that is true but at the same time the the implicit impact of losing to an NAIA school is going to sit in the minds of committee members it's going to it has to uh, is there a new net ranking out? By the way, is that is that I, updated? I don't think that's what I was trying to figure out real quick. Yeah, what what is it? It is the, not. It is not. No, it's not. Oh, so, I was just trying to get to the strength of schedule in the quad. Oh yeah, um, but it's not. It's not going to be good. Now they don't care because they're not trying to win a, an at large bid, but it impacts the seeding of the conference. If you get there, it's going to impact your seeding because you have significantly fewer data points against Division One teams. And also, you lost to an NAIA school that didn't exist two years ago. I'm fired up about this. I, this, this makes me mad. The fact that this game was even played makes me mad. Good for the Firehawks, though. Good for them. Um, you know, I, I hope becoming a public school... Um, results in a, a significant uh, growth in their athletic department. I hope their basketball team takes a big step forward, uh, that their baseball team gets better, their soccer teams. Martin Methodist soccer teams were always good. But, um, yeah, uh, congratulations to them. Good for them to have. Oh, maybe there's a Flutie effect. Because, I, I mean, I know I Googled UT Southern when I saw that score. But... Uh, yeah, maybe there's a little flutie effect. Would you like to know the strength of schedule of Sanford right now? Is it in the 330s? Uh, no, it is not. No? What is it? 346. It's in the three. 346. <laughs> Out of how many? 360. 363. Oh. oh, that's so bad. That is the worst of the Southern Conference teams, right? That is the weakest yeah. schedule in the SoCon. Yes. Apply yourselves. So Apply the, yourselves. So just in comparison, Chattanooga's got the 33rd. Yeah. Chattanooga, 33. Furman, 48. Wofford, 79. I'm trying to do the math in order here. 174 is UNCG. Western, 187. Then ETSU at 34. Uh, Mercer 306, ETSU 314. I think I left VMI out 276. 327, the Citadel 346 right now, Sanford. But and and that's only judged on four games. Yeah, and I mean Texas. That probably the best teams they played are Louisiana Tech and then Texas Southern. And Texas Southern's a team that you know they play all those uh, uh, buy games to make budget for the year, so they travel around and. Um, they're they're kind of like the, you know, they're 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 not really the Harlem Globetrotters. They're more like the Washington Generals, honestly. Um, but they do they travel around and they play a lot of guarantee games against high level opponents, and they're usually very good in the SWAC as a result of that because it's like, listen, we've been playing Syracuse and Florida State, and uh, we're playing all of these schools all over the country, and uh, they have a great experience from that. Uh, but it's still not a team that I would sit here and say you are measuring yourself against if you're trying to um, get to where you want to be as a program. I just you know, I, I, for for everything that we commend, I commend Chris Hatcher I don't know how much say he has in the football schedule um, but I commend him for going out, being aggressive scheduling Kennesaw State. Scheduling a team that you you have a chance of losing to at, this, at the FCS level uh, because that game that game on its own probably 
bought them a a, a position in the seating. If they had played um, a non-counter, or if they had played, you know, a team that you know just nobody really thought anything of, then you're probably looking at maybe the eight if you get seated at all. And they should have been seated. Probably looking at the eight. But you beat Kennesaw State. And even though that didn't turn out well, it added to your strength of schedule significantly more than a Pioneer League team would or some other teams. You probably got a spot in the seeding ranks. You maybe moved from seven to six as a result of that. And they probably should have been higher, if we're being honest. Uh, you moved from seven to six. That For everything that that program did, I just want to know what the rationale was for the men's basketball team to schedule four non-D1s. I have to think in the thick of Division One sports in the in the Deep South, you you are able to find some some decent D one home games because even North Dakota, even in in North Dakota, South Dakota, where the nearest Division One team is 160 miles away, or the nearest Division One team is worth like 300 miles away, and there's one Power Five program within a six hour drive, even out there. They still only play two. I just... I don't get it. Take a look uh, real quickly. Thoughts on the FCS playoffs. Uh, there were a few scores, maybe. Not a lot. Uh, you know, Furman won by larger margin. I thought they would. I thought they would win. 31-6. Watched it. I don't know if you saw the fake field goal by Elon oh. for no reason, oh. but that kicker got – oh, poor kicker. When that guy wakes up on Tuesday. Travis Blackshear hit him um, in the next Wednesday. Yeah. I, I don't know say, about he, Tuesday. When, it was when, he, when he wakes up later this week. And that was just – that was a punishing what hit. What were they doing? First of all, if kick field goal, you're making a one-score game, but I don't even know what that was trying to accomplish, let alone uh, it being a horrific play. I don't know. I don't know. So, Furman won. I uh, stand by what I said. Furman's quarterfinal team. I think they're a team that is that good on the offensive and defensive lines. Plus, Incarnate Words coach is uh, interviewing for FBS jobs. Um, uh, my understanding, according to Football Scoop earlier today, he is a strong candidate for the Tulsa job. Um, but that is just a report. Uh, but it also, it's out there that he's having those conversations. I remember vividly when uh, Mike Houston at JMU had the whole Charlotte, actually not Charlotte, East Carolina saga, and the Dukes went on the road, and they lay, they played awful and lost to Colgate, a game they should not have lost. Um, I would not be surprised if something similar happened to the Cardinals this week um, because the Paladins are going to come in there ready to play. They are fired up. This is a really good group. And uh, I think they're going to be in the quarterfinals uh, this time next week. All right, a couple results that I think didn't shock anybody. Delaware beat St. Francis 56-17. Reese Udinsky was like 28-31 for some ridiculous amount. He's Yeah, uh, he's been really good. And uh, that team will be very interesting in their matchup this week. Yeah, Richmond 41 nothing over Davidson. Um we, uh, Weber gave up 14 late points but held on 38-31. Can, can we talk about – the forward pass that shouldn't have been, or the fumble that shouldn't have been. And that was, look, I, officials have a hard job, and it was a blizzard. That was abysmal. How does that ball move forward if Tommy Schuster's hand isn't pushing it forward? That's an incomplete pass. That is, an, that is the easiest call, and they blew it, and it turned into a touchdown that nearly decided the game between Weber State and UND, and it shouldn't have. And Weber, thankfully, was the better team and remained the better team. But also, holy shnikes, guys, that's, that's a hard one to get wrong, and they got it wrong 
in they got it way wrong. It put points on the board. That's that's the kind of wrong that you can't be at this point of the year. I just that that bugged me. That bugged me. But yeah, Weber very good. Um, Weber should have been a seed. Weber was the only team I disagreed with the committee on getting seeded uh, at all versus not. Um, like I had the other seven teams in my top eight. Didn't have them in the same order, but I had the other seven teams other than William and Mary that they seeded in their top eight. And uh, Weber was my, I think Weber was my five actually. And they have to go to Bozeman now in the second round, which is just, that's not good. Uh, there, but that's, the regionalization is a topic that's been beaten to death, and we can we can talk about that another time. Yeah. What else I, you got? I, no, totally agree. I, so other kind of games uh, that were interesting, the New Hampshire-Fordham was a shootout as we expected. I kind of expected that. I, I had hoped Fordham's defense would be able to get a stop uh, because if they did, there were several points where Fordham's offense would cut it to one score, and you're thinking, okay, Defense gets a stop, and then there would be a third and 12, and New Hampshire hits a 25-yard gainer, and it's like, well, what's the point? Fordham's offense showed up. Uh, the offense that it delivered for them all year showed up. Unfortunately, the defense they had all year also showed up. All right, then uh, we'll get to interesting results. But I will, I will say, I will say, um, I don't think Fordham embarrassed themselves um, and I also think that they deserve to get in, not just based on their resume during the year, but I think the 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 way that game played out, even though they lost it, validates them getting in as a nine and two team in the Patriot League. Three games I really kind of want to get to. The shocker for me was Gardner Webb. Oh yeah, not and. Again, it looked closer, 52-41, because EKU scored 14 late points, but Gardner-Webb just throttled them. I was – I pretty much, if I had to pick a tweener game, uh, so, again, not taking Richmond against a non-scholarship, not taking uh, Delaware versus St. Francis, which has got limited scholarships, New Hampshire, Fordham's got limited – okay, taking a full-fledged scholarship, scholarship game that were a little bit more of toss-ups – I thought EKU was going to be the lock of those three or four, and I was shocked that Gardner-Webb, not just one, but one pretty convincingly. Gardner-Webb won convincingly, and they won it by just pummeling EKU into submission. They ran the ball for almost eight yards a rush. 51 carries for 405 yards. That's staggering. I, that That is something that just, I, I was stunned to see EKU just get obliterated in the trenches like that. And, and, and you know, some of it's, you know, utilizing speed in other areas, but when you are a, that effective running the ball, you are effective running the ball between the tackles as well. And there's just no way around it. That's a, that's one that will, that, that will haunt the colonels, I think for a while, a while like specifically about eight, nine months before they get back out there. They're going to sit with that all through spring ball. And uh, Eastern Kentucky, usually a team that is aggressive in the transfer portal, they're probably going to crank it up a notch over the next 30 days as the portal opens. Shootout City again for Southeast Louisiana. Who oh, that was a great game. The Lions always play these games. And you look at... Jesse Britt, 106 yards rushing, threw a touchdown pass in, in that game. And then it was kind of a bizarre world because uh, Cephas Johnson, the third, almost said second, the third. Now, he tends to run with the football, but he had yep. – when your quarterback has two rushing touchdowns and then your lead tailback doesn't have a rushing touchdown, but he threw for <laughs> one. I think that's always a recipe. Sometimes you can pick up a win. But 45-42, and it was an entertaining game, which, again, the Lions have a knack for that, especially in the playoffs. Like, they just play these one-score, ridiculous game, ending-type deals, and it lived up to what I thought would be a fairly good game and a good toss-up game, which I thought the home team mm -hmm. could probably win just by home field. And it seemed like, you know, if they, the old adage, the home team gets three points, that's what the final score was, 45-42. Hammond America showed up, as Frank Selfo put it, um, and, and delivered for Southeastern. Uh, it was a great atmosphere awesome football game um it comes down to the wire idaho has a chance to kick it to tie it 
with six seconds left, and he misses it. Uh, uh, that was such a great back-and-forth, entertaining football game. And really, I mean, it got nutty in the fourth quarter. It was that's that's the kind of game that I that you love to see in the first round. That's just really really entertaining. Two teams throwing haymakers at each other, going back and forth was awesome. The last game and this one, unfortunately, I went to bed and had to watch it later. But when I went to bed, Southeast Missouri was up, and <laughs> and, and it, I and here's the bad part: I turned it off. After the touchdown with about eight, nine minutes to go in the third quarter that made it 24-3. Yep. If I could have stayed up, I don't know, 60 more seconds, I would have saw the kick, the immediate kick return for a touchdown that swung the whole momentum of the game. Then I missed the punt return that for a touchdown. That might be enough to swing the momentum. I mean, I went to bed thinking, okay, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a, like – and I thought, you know, Montana would score a couple, but I still thought SEMO at this point is yep. going to pull off the shocker and I'll just watch the rest of it in the morning. And I got up and I saw the final score, and I'm like, what, what, you know. Then went directly to where I went to bed and was like, man, I should have stayed up 30 more seconds. Then I would have been hooked. <laughs> now I would have been mad because I had to stay up later to watch it all to see what happened. Yeah. And I was still able to enjoy it at 7 o'clock the next morning and not that big a deal. But that, to me, typical Montana almost, it seems like in the playoffs they tend to fall behind, and then, bam, here they come. Or vice versa. They get up big, and then bam, here comes. It always seems like, unlike Southeast Louisiana, that always seems to be in a back-and-forth shootout all the time, Montana has a knack for either jumping out way ahead and then the game coming back to them, yep. or it seems like they're completely out of the game. And then here they come. I don't know what it is about both those schools, but you could almost book it that Sella's going to play in some ridiculous back-and-forth game, and Montana, whatever the score is with like five minutes to go in a game, don't worry about it. It'll get back to where it's a heck of a ball game. I don't think they're going to have that luck in Fargo. I I just don't. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. Um, again, Maybe I should say at home, the Grizz at home. <laughs> another nice. another you know, it's another great game at Wag Grizz. It's a place where it's really tough to beat them. Um, and, and they they shrugged. Off. They finally got out of whatever torpor they were in against Montana State uh, in the second half. And I think that kickoff return is exactly what did it. So. Uh, it's it's good to have the gri it's good to have the Grizz deeper into the postseason because it's a big engaged fan base, um, but also uh, it could be a long Saturday afternoon for them. That is a uh, that's a that's the rare two thirty Central second round kick in Fargo. Normally that is a noon game for them, but they uh, they get Saturday two thirty uh, for NDSU and and Montana. Yeah, they kind of gave the. And I use this in quotes. The prime time spot, Holy Cross, New Hampshire, the only noon game. I thought that was a bit. Shocking. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that that was the game that got the the noon treatment. Um, but maybe I don't know. Maybe they think it's gonna be lopsided. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it, they just they usually have one game at noon. Yep. And then they stagger some twos all the way. Sometimes there's a yeah. Night so SDSU Delaware is it is it three? Samford's uh, uh, SLU is at three? There's two o'clock. William and Mary Gardner Webb. Um, Incarnate Word Furman, Montana State, Weber State is three, and then the five o'clock is Sac State and Richmond, uh, which I think will be a more interesting game than you might think. I I'm intrigued to watch that because I, I think it's going to tell us a lot about Sac State and the Big Sky, um, and also it's going to tell us a lot about the CAA. Like that's one where I think you can really, um have your priors upended about those two conferences. We'll we'll see. The committee said the committee chair said that he thought that the committee thought the CAA was the strongest conference in the country this year, which I don't agree with at all. I think it was the fourth best conference this year. But you have a chance to validate that uh, going up against a team that has found a way to consistently win tight games uh, against teams that have really given them some challenges over the course of their Big Sky schedule. Right. And, and, they, and they got four teams with a chance to advance, right? Only Elon yes. lost, right? Elon lost. Everybody else has a chance to go to the quarterfinals. So if they get multiple three, let's say three, teams out of the top eight, you probably, CAA, can, can maybe thump their chest a little bit. But if, let's say, Bill and Mary, the only home team wins, does that validate what we thought about them? No. Well, yes. Yes. I would say so. 
That's what I was thinking. And I, you know, I don't even. Can you trust William and Mary? I, I don't know a thing about Gardner I, Webb. To be honest, this is this game's a little. I, bit. I don't trust any CAA teams. I don't trust them to do what I expect them to do. Delaware was fifty six seventeen over St. Francis, and Nolan Henderson being back has certainly helped them out. Um, but I just right. I don't see All that. Right, off the top of your head, here we go. Okay. There's, there's four games. You rank me best chance, worst chance to win CAA. Okay. So. I'm going to give give the games, and you're going to rank them one through four. Delaware's I'm going to put on my Karnak the Magnificent hat. I'll give you the home team first. William & Mary, Gardner-Webb. Then the three road games. Delaware, number one, South Dakota State. Yep. New Hampshire's at number eight, Holy Cross. And then it is Richmond at number two, Sac State. So two of the games are against one and two on the road. I would say William & Mary has the best chance to advance. I think the second best chance to advance because it is the second best team is Richmond. Um, I think they're that much better than New Hampshire personally. Then I would say New Hampshire. Uh, and then um, I would say uh, 50 feet of dirt and then Delaware. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like, it. all right, we'll go into De- Delaware. Uh, Delaware has. Or Friday. We'll probably do a little bit. Friday. I, I don't give Delaware any chance. They could pull the upset. But I give them virtually no shot at winning at South Dakota State. And we'll talk more probably Friday. We got a lot of hoop. All right, Tim Smith is going to join his podcast. We'll have hey! that Friday. So Timmy, Timmy, Timmy time. Timmy time. So we'll Let's do Tim. it. All right, we'll talk women's basketball. We will talk men's basketball, Martell, a little bit. But we will talk more women's basketball. Vandy, get you set for that. We'll talk FCS playoffs Wednesday because there's a lot to talk about on the recaps on Friday of men's and women's plus Tim Smith. Retire his jersey on Saturday against Jack State. We'll talk about that as well. So all hoops on Friday, women's hoops, and a little bit of football on Wednesday. And that'll be the week for us on the podcast. Quite a week. Who have a better week? Sanford being made fun of. Nah, really, there's nothing top that. I, 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 I was going to come up with something else. Sanford football might have a good week. That's true. And I hope Michael Hires is healthy. We'll I hope so, that. too, because that team has earned the opportunity to go big. Buccaneers Network! Oh, you got to be kidding me!